0: Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with designer Melinda Livesey. We chat about how an internship at Oakley turned into a full-time job and what she learned during her time as an in-house designer, when she made the turn from viewing herself as a freelance designer and started considering herself a small business owner, how she got hooked up with Chris Doe and the future, and what she learned under his coaching. I end up getting some coaching from Melinda for Frostiki, the design business that my wife Tina and I run, and we find out Melinda's three-year plan all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they are making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. That have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints, for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers, starting at 149 Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATE15CS at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool creative south podcast swag. When you become a creative south patron, you'll get access to exciting creative south news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast, thanking you for your support creative south podcast, stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreoncom slash creative south. Melinda, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: So let's dive right in and, and tell me where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in Fullerton, California, so not too far or from where I am now.
0: Okay. So you've you've lived in Southern California all your life pretty much?
1: Yeah. Yeah, all my life, actually.
0: Gotcha. When you when you were growing up, what were you into?
1: Oh man, I I was into drawing. Um mm. I also was into piano. Making origami things. Um, yeah, making. A lot of making.
0: Okay. Do you, wh- what got you into origami? I'm curious about that. Like drawing is a natural thing for kids to do. Origami.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I probably got some kind of a book or we went to the library a lot. My mom would okay. bring my brother and I to the library. And so I probably picked up a book from there and... Learn origami from there. So I feel like my packaging days started at a very young age from, <laughs> from origami. Um, yeah, so it, it just, it caught me. I don't know what it was, is the patterns in it. I am attracted to patterns
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, and making, so it was the best of both worlds.
0: Gotcha. Um, and, and as you were going through school, like elementary, middle school, high school, were you taking art classes then too, or was it just kind of a afterthought and these are just electives and, you know, I'm, it's not something that I'm going to make a job out of.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think I started taking the classes once I was in high school, um, come going up to that. I, I don't know if I had taken any classes, but I know high school definitely, I did take them. And I think it was in high school that I decided that I wanted to do some form of, I wanted to have some kind of creativity in my job that I end up with. And so okay. I took the classes knowing that, I was going to do something with it and I didn't know exactly what, but I was always drawn to illustration and mm. um, drawing. And that's really all I knew of in the creative industry is illustration or was mm. illustration. And so that's what uh, I gravitated towards because I had no idea what design was.
0: So so you, you gravitate towards that stuff um, kind of naturally. You're really interested in it. when you When you get out of high school, what do you end up doing?
1: I ended up transferring to, or started to go to Cal State Fullerton. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started going there because it was the easy choice. It was local, and it
0: was close to home. It was didn't <laughs> have to move close out. Close
1: to home, it was literally two streets away from my high school.
0: Oh, that is yeah, that's real so close.
1: <laughs> it's right there, very close to home. And my mom had went there, and it's just it felt like home. So I decided to go there and I started off with an illustration major because, again, I didn't know about design. And that's all I mm. knew of what I could make some money at in the creative industry instead of going to fine arts. And so I just uh, went to Cal State Fullerton, majored in, in illustration um, until I found design.
0: So if you're majoring in illustration and all that, at what point do you find design?
1: It must have been my second, I think my second year in college, second or third. And I took a typography class because it was part of the classes I needed to take for the illustration major. And I had no idea what it was. And then I took the class and it was like my eyes were open (laughs) to what design was and typography. I was one of those people who just thought fonts just appeared and typefaces just appeared out of nowhere and that someone actually sits down and designs them and it's just something that never it never came across my mind. It was nothing that I ever had thought of before. And then when I heard that in typography class that design was about problem solving, that's what mm-hmm. got me so interested into it because illustration at that time, they were teaching more storybook art and it wasn't I wanted more editorial and I didn't even know how to articulate that. Okay. But when I heard design was problem solving, that's what got me mm-hmm. into
0: it. I mean I understand there's a problem solving method that goes into illustration. I'm not an illustrator. I don't have an illustration background. I'm I'm a designer who can fumble his way through an illustration. Mm-hmm. Um but w- what what about the how was the problem solving translating for you into illustration at that time?
1: It wasn't. And I, yeah. And I think that's why I was at least how I was being trained at that mm-hmm. school. I'm sure it's not like that everywhere, but how I was being trained there, I didn't find that in illustration. And I think that's what caught me by surprise when I, when I discovered that in design.
0: So you discover the problem solving stuff, the spark goes off. Do you switch majors at that point? Do you How, how do you progress through school?
1: So at, at Cal State Fullerton, they have emphasis. And so I was emphasizing in illustration. And so I just added graphic design as a second emphasis because mm-hmm. I really like school, too. I was one of those weirdos mm-hmm. that love school, love learning. And so I figured, well, I'll just add more learning time instead of cutting illustration because I still wanted to find out if that's something I wanted to pursue uh, and it wasn't, but you know, you never know until you try. So I just added, added more work for myself. <laughs> essentially.
0: Yeah. I, I believe me. I understand that. Um, when, when you, when you finally wrap up school, what do you end up doing? How, where do you find yourself?
1: I went to an AIGA portfolio review right before I graduated from college. And I, from that, I got an internship, paid internship at Oakley immediately after graduation. So it was, gosh, maybe the next week or two after I graduated, I was starting already in um, the corporate world and getting Mm -hmm. paid as an intern and stayed there for quite some time.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. What... As your first gig out of school, what looking back on it, what was that like for you?
1: It was so exciting. It was really exciting, especially because at that portfolio review, everyone was saying, if you're going to talk to anyone, you need to go talk to the creative director of Oakley. That's the place you mm. want to end up. And so I did, and I left the portfolio review thinking, well, they're not going to hire me because... The creative director was had a lot of great constructive criticism, but it was a lot. And so I walked away from there as a student going, well, I guess that's not going to work. And then he called me a week later. And so it was so exciting to have not only an mm-hmm. internship, but a paid one, because a lot of my friends at that time were getting unpaid internships that were just counting for school credit. And so sure. I landed something that I'm actually getting paid and it's a large company, so it looks great on the resume. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I looked out.
0: And and you said that lasted quite a while. Did you that internship transition into an actual full-time job?
1: It did. It went from interning to freelancing full-time to then being full-time there. Um, mm-hmm. I was there for, I think, three years. But then I quit to freelance because I wanted to explore the world and see what was out there. And <laughs> just because when you're an in-house designer, too, it's a lot of the same stuff. It's like there's only oh, so many well. ways... <laughs> Right. Yeah. If you're in-house, you you know that. There's only so many ways that you can design for the same exact product over and over and over and over. And so I was thinking, I'm young. I'll just quit and explore the world. Well, they hired me a lot for freelance in different departments. And so I got a taste of retail, of doing the retail displays, doing Mm -hmm. work for PR, um, then doing work in the branding department because I previously was in marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. graphics department there. And, um, and so after working with them a few years as a freelancer, as well as having clients on the side, I was hired back to be on their branding team. So it's a very small team. They worked on special projects, um, product graphics in store displays and, um, out outdoor facades. So anything that was brand related, our little team would work on. So then I was there for three more years. So I think in total I was there seven, Want to say from the time that I graduated.
0: Okay, so what do you think you learned there? What I mean, because it sounds like you touched a lot of different. A you touched a lot of different departments, but you also touched a lot of different types of projects within the company.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, I I was so thankful for that job because one, it taught me the possibilities. Because I think when mm-hmm. when you come out of college, and if I would have started it somewhere that doesn't have a big budget, and they're really small, I wouldn't have seen the possibilities that could have been done with things like product graphics, or packaging, or just catalogs, photo shoots. They're over a billion dollar company. And so mm-hmm. they have the budget to produce so many amazing things. And and so I learned what how far I could push things. And even with them, we could have pushed farther, I'm sure, but we got oh, pretty sure. far. And so I, I think it was great for me to see the potential and starting out. at such a large company because I can take all of that knowledge. There's knowledge from how, how to get things printed, um, to finishing techniques to how do you run a photo shoot and learning <laughs> from the creative directors and the art directors and coming up with campaigns. And so, yeah, I, I did touch a lot of different touch points and um, departments. And so I, I tried to glean as much as I could from each. And looking back, I wish I, you know, I was young. I wish I would have. <laughs> I wish I would have taken maybe a few of the creative directors or art directors as mentors and sure. learned more from them than I did. But
0: still. were I mean, were they offering up mentorship for you at that point, though?
1: I think if I would have asked. Gotcha. I think they would have been open to that. They're really great. All of them are so talented. So I had I would have had my pick.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's tough for a young designer to ask, though, because especially if it's really your first real job out of school, you don't necessarily know that you can ask that. Uh, Yeah. So,
1: yeah, you're right. And I didn't. And that's why for whoever's listening here, I I hope that you do ask.
0: Yeah, because I mean, that. I completely I can completely relate with you because I never really had that opportunity. And and any mentorship I've gotten, I've had to go out and seek. And I didn't even start doing that until I was close to 40. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it, yeah. It, it 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 can be a struggle after you leave Oakley for the second time. What do you what do you end up doing? Where do you go?
1: So after that, um they. They dissolved our creative department, sadly, and so I got laid off. So they
0: made the choice for you. They
1: made the choice for me, but I was very, very excited because I've always wanted to run my own business, and Mm -hmm. I did for a time, you know, in in between my freelancing and whatnot, um, and always had clients on the side. And so I felt like, well, now's the time then, if. If I had been wanting to do this and the stars aligned and this is what happened with my position, then maybe now's the time to actually get serious about it. And so right after Oakley was when uh, I got got serious about sticking with this and not looking Mm -hmm. for another job. So sticking with what I'm doing currently and running my own business.
0: As, As you transition out and you're deciding to turn it into an actual business, Versus dis- defining yourself as a freelancer and then defining yourself as a business owner, how do you make that transition in your head? When does that happen for you?
1: Oh, yeah. I had a, there was definitely a transition. I went from, from that job I went straight into freelancing not necessarily even knowing or, or having a vision of what my business could look like and so I stepped straight into being a freelancer I was on site for a few companies for about mm-hmm. 6 months and then about I guess the 6 month mark I joined a mastermind group that I found on Facebook and I thought okay if I'm actually going to do this for the long haul I guess I need a business like this has to be a business. It's not just me mm-hmm. going hopping from company to company and freelancing. I, I have to be more serious about this and have a longer term plan. And so that's when I came up with a business name. And in my head, I I switched to being a business owner, although I still had a, a foot in freelance and a foot in the business. But sure. that was definitely where I I came up with a name, came up with um, the branding for for my new business, and branded myself as a business rather than just a person trying to get their next gig. It was very different.
0: Um, for people out there who aren't necessarily familiar with what what is the name of your business?
1: It's Marks and Maker.
0: What made you decide on that name?
1: Oh my gosh, naming is so hard. I don't know if you've have you I ever completely tried?
0: agree. I'm really oh, just man. hunting for tips here. That's what yeah. it is.
1: <laughs> yes, it is so hard. And I went through so many names in the thesaurus was my friend for like three weeks straight. Um, but I came to the name, not because of the whiskey, although I keep getting <laughs> asked that, but I figured the, the ideal client for me is someone mm-hmm. who has a creative spirit and who possibly is a designer of some sort. So whether that's interior design, maybe they're an architect, um, fashion designer, accessories designer, somehow there's some creativity in them. And so I would categorize them as a maker in a way. Mm -hmm. And I consider myself at at that time, I was a maker as well. And I make marks. And so thinking of like actually having a mark and a brand. And I I was thinking of the potter who puts his mark in the bottom of ceramic. So that's kind of where the idea evolved. And that's just so happens that the whiskey is... Very close to the name, but well, you know what can you do?
0: You know, I went to high school about 30 minutes away from where they make it. So
1: really? I can.
0: Yeah, I, I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and honestly, until you said it, I wasn't even putting those that two makes together. Me
1: feel good. I've I've gotten a few comments here and there. Like jokesters like to point it out. I'm like, I know, I get it, but.
0: Maybe, maybe those jokesters have a drinking problem that they're so readily associating <laughs> this is that true. with. Turn it around <laughs> yeah, on them. Yeah, I like there that. You. I will. <laughs> gotcha. So as you're growing, as you're growing the business, and 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 things are kind of taking off for you, how are you learning the business side of things? Because I don't. That's not something I don't know about you. That's not something I was taught in school.
1: Oh no, that's the farthest thing from what I was taught in school. Hundred percent. I was not taught that at all. I think I learned some of it from other peers Mm -hmm. who were already freelancing. And so we'd pass information from one to the other, like, do you have a contract? Are we supposed to have a contract? Well, how do we do this? How do we price? And so I learned a lot um before I even graduated from people who were already ahead of me in freelancing. But and the
0: answer is yes, always have a contract. Yes.
1: Yes, always have a contract for sure. Um, but over that time it was a lot of gosh reading books, looking on Google, lots of, of Googling and mm-hmm. um, asking friends. And then that's where a little over a year and a half ago, I met Chris Doe, who has been my coach since then. And I've learned most of my business knowledge from him. <laughs> um, and then even from there, jumping off of what I've learned from him, I I do try now and read a lot more business books than I do design books. And I sure. think that was the biggest switch one of the biggest switches for me was instead of concentrating so much on the craft, because I'm at a point now I'm over 10 years into my career and I can start hiring designers. It's not like I have Mm -hmm. to do all the work. And so why am I still reading a ton of design books? I can drop those and start learning business. And so I, I've just recently read, um, the e-myth and reading things like work, the system built to sell, Mm -hmm. um, business books. Actual yeah. business book, so that's what I'm
0: trying. To How do you find reading them? Because I struggle with them. I, they yeah, I a I'm not a big nonfiction reader to begin with. Mm. But when it's something like, and this goes for design books too. Like I, the design books I've read are by people I know. <laughs> Like
1: that's nice of you. you know, I still don't read that many from people I know.
0: Well, and it's it's either from people I know or from people I'm going to be interviewing for the podcast. Mm, yeah. Those yeah. are the design books I've read. I have a bunch of design books that are really just more ornamentation yep. for my bookshelf. <laughs> but but those and the and the, the business books just for me it's just such a struggle. It's it's so boring to me. It's so mm. dry yeah. that it's it reminds me of reading a textbook.
1: Yeah, I ha I like the uh, I see business books as more like the self-help category
0: I don't or like those psychology either, so. <laughs> yeah so if you're not into
1: psychology books or um, yeah any nonfiction then that might not be your speed and I could understand that yeah yeah I'm not into I'm not into fiction at all
0: I like fiction I, I don't mind nonfiction as long as it has a good narrative and yeah. a good story that runs through it.
1: Yeah, and they try. But it's
0: it's hard to get that with <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I've read some that do a decent job of that.
1: What's the what's but, the best one that you've read? Uh, as far as was, like business related.
0: Trying to, it was a Seth Godin book and now I can't remember what the last one I read was. I think it was Purple Cow. But his are like his are tough cuz they're they're essentially his blog that he just yeah. compiles into a book. And then the editor goes through and kind of structures it for him. Yeah. Um. And and he's admitted that, so I'm not like breaking any secret or criticizing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's probably the last one. It's probably Purple Cow. Um. And then the last design book I read, um, was Draplin's book. Um, oh. And then I'm looking forward to John Cantino has a book coming out in October. I think. What's that so, going
1: to be? I don't know him.
0: Um, he's out of New York. He's done a bunch of stuff. Um, if you, if you just look up Contino, he's, you'll find him and it's spelled like you would think it would be spelled. (laughs) Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's fun. He's got a lot of personality. He's a very good storyteller. So I'm looking forward to reading his book. If you can find any of his talks that he's given online, it's, it's well worth it. It's very entertaining.
1: Oh, I will. I will. Yeah. Yeah. The business books, they try. I know some of them really try to, I think they force a narrative sometimes, like just give me Mm -hmm. the information. I just need the steps. So I know what to do. You don't have to convince me of anything, but they, they're really trying to change your mindset through the whole thing Mm -hmm. is to get you thinking in a certain way so that you can apply whatever it is that they're teaching. But again, I, I like those kinds of things. So I think it's a lot easier for me.
0: Sure. Maybe I'm just too stubborn to change. <laughs> maybe that's why I was struggling. Well, since you mentioned it and you brought it up, I, I do want to talk to you about talk to you about the work you've done with Chris and, and, and how you got hooked up with him and how you disco- I'm assuming you discovered him through the future, mm-hmm. probably online at you know, with one of the YouTube videos or something. But how did you get connected with him?
1: Oh gosh! So I I started teaching an online e course called PreLance about two years ago, and oh, okay. one of the beta students because I ran a, a beta test run just to make sure, sure. everything was okay. One Smart of the idea. students brought in his video, Chris's video on how to charge more for a logo, which I think went viral and it's in the millions oh, yeah, yeah, of views. Yeah, 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 he was saying how he charges eighteen thousand for a logo, and so the student had posted it. And said, well, this guy is talking about how to price a logo, but I still don't know how to do it. And so I was like, oh, really? Well, who's this guy? Because I had never heard of Chris before. Ah. (laughs) I'm like, oh, this guy is talking like he knows what he's talking about. Oh, they're one of those guys. Thinks
0: he knows everything.
1: Exactly. So I watched the video and was like, whatever. And I I forgot about it. So about six to eight months later, I came across more of his stuff because he just won't leave us alone. You know, he just keeps posting (laughs) and posting. I think I might have come across him again on YouTube and Facebook. But -hmm. then I saw, oh, he has really good content. I was learning Mm -hmm. a lot from him. And I'm in Southern California, and I had always looked up to people who went to Art Center or who taught at Art Center. And of course, he did both. And I saw that he was also sharing and teaching the things that he would have taught at Art Center. He was teaching to us. So how to design a better logo and... That was actually the first thing that I had noticed there. I said, "Well, he's actually he's telling us you you can charge eighteen thousand for a logo, but he's actually teaching us too." And so mm-hmm. I started following all the posts and saw that he was posting how to design a better logo, um, just a step by step. Each week he would he would come out with a new lesson, and it was just on his Facebook page. And I followed along for weeks, and I started doing the exercises that he had. And he said, "Post." post your work in the comments. And so I would post my work in the comments like everybody else. And yeah. over the weeks, people started dropping off and they didn't do it and they weren't posting. But I, I I was slow at it. But over the course of three weeks to a month, I would scroll back down to the post. And that was before they had the save for later feature. And so I had to sure. scroll and he posts so much that I had to keep scrolling and scrolling to find the post. And so I would scroll and then keep posting and come back and keep posting. And every time he would comment and I thought, oh, my gosh, Chris is commenting. Little did I know he comments on everybody's comments all the time. I, I don't know how the man does it, but mm. he will comment on YouTube, on Facebook. If you if you say something on there, you will get a like and you'll probably get a comment from him. But I didn't know that. And so I was freaking out yeah. seeing, oh, my gosh. Chris is commenting and he's seeing my stuff. That's that's crazy. And so I think part of that, part of me still wanting to learn, I still kept going because I saw, oh, like I'm getting validated from the teacher that I'm learning from. And so I kept, I kept at it. I kept posting the logo studies. And then finally he he messaged me and he said, who are you? Why are you doing these studies? Because I was one of the only ones that kept doing it. And they were, I put a lot of time and effort into it. So I made sure that they were good. And he said, well, do you own a studio? Why are you doing these? Cause they're good. Why? Like, you don't need to work on them. <laughs> you don't
0: look like you need help. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. And so he, then he said, can we jump on a Skype call? And I was freaking out. It's like, oh my gosh! So from going from him liking and commenting my stuff, and I already was freaking out because of that. He was asking mm-hmm. me on a Skype call, so it's like, yeah, of course I will talk to you. And um, we got on a Skype call, and about 10 minutes in, Draplin called him. So he's like, I gotta go. Draplin's calling me. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on? Because these two <laughs> big names, and I was talking to one of them. Um, and he's all I'll call you back later. And he did because I, I again, I'm like this guy's not gonna call you back. He's too busy. Sure. I don't even know what he wants. And then he um he ended up calling me back and and we just had a conversation like an hour and a half, I think, and mm-hmm. he was asking me about my history and what I'm doing, um, asking me why I was doing the logo studies and um and then he he said, which I will not forget he said, I was wondering to myself, who is this person? Cause they're studying the logos like I would. And so I was like, wait a minute, you're comparing, you're comparing my work to you. Like that's crazy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and so he was asking me some things about what I wanted to learn. So doing a little bit of market research, if you will, for the future, sure. um, asked me what I wanted to learn, gave me some free coaching, super generous with that. Um, and then, then he called me back the next week and was checking in, wanted to see how things were going. And so we ended up talking, I think maybe three times. Can't remember. And mm-hmm. by the third time he asked me, what, what do you think about being on YouTube? And I'm like, where are you, what are you getting at? Cause I would ask him too. I, I pushed back on him a lot and I told him, you know, I see your videos. I see that you're trying to get us to charge a ton for logos, but I have no, you're not telling me how. You're not giving me a plan on how to get there. And Mm -hmm. and he and I asked a lot of questions about how to do that. And he goes, oh, I thought everyone knew this or I thought everyone knew what you just asked. I said, no, I wouldn't be asking that if I knew. And he realized (laughs) I was asking questions that he didn't know he should even answer. And so that's when it came to the point where he asked me about being on YouTube and coming on as a co-host because I had a different perspective that he didn't even know. He should be addressing certain things that I was bringing up. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the whole the whole thing started. So I was originally going to go on as a co-host, not necessarily being coached. Um, mm-hmm. It turned into coaching, but I got a ton of value out of it. And it seems like a lot of the audience did too.
0: I, don't, I mean, I listened to those. It was interesting because it was – yes, it was definitely coaching, but it didn't feel like – it felt like you were co-hosting the show as well. And it was just – you were having a conversation, and it, it felt more like role playing. The, and you were the co-host and asking those questions as a, you know, yeah, set him up so he can help answer it. And it, it didn't feel—I mean, it didn't feel forced either, though. It it Mm-mm. it felt very natural. So I I thought it was really good. Um, I i trying to think. I watched two of them, and then I listened to a couple of them as well. Mm-hmm. So you did you did a total of four that I'm aware of.
1: Oh, I'm gosh. Sure you, I was on there. No, you did
0: like eight, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did eight in the summer. So last summer I did eight, yeah. and then I was on, I think, a few times with Rebecca. Okay. Um So we did a, that one, and then we did a check-in. Me and Chris did a check-in in um, this past March, February, March.
0: I missed that one.
1: So that was where I came in and I had a ton of progress. And so mm. I was sharing about the progress and, um, there was a big difference between Melinda last summer on the show and Melinda this year. I was the, the chemistry between me and Chris too. It was so different this year. Like mm. we were joking around and I was really comfortable on camera versus when I first got there, I was freaked out. Like there were three cameras in the room. There were a couple camera guys, there, it was him. Like meeting him too, He's very intimidating. Sure, for for me when I first mm-hmm. met him, and he was so serious. Too. Oh no,
0: when I when I talk to him, yeah, he's yeah, he's very yeah, he's very serious, very dry. Yeah, um, but you can tell he cares. So it's it's that weird dichotomy there. So
1: he's very yeah, he's like art school. He's very art mm-hmm. school. It's what I think of when I think that very rigid. Mm-hmm. They push you and till your limits but yeah <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, he, I think he would make a good uh, Bauhaus instructor oh for he sure has that, he has that mentality
1: yes he does anyway I sat down with him right before we filmed the first one he
0: mm-hmm. sat
1: down with me he goes you need a new picture you need to be looking straight at the camera it needs to be black and white you also have to redo your entire LinkedIn summary I was like oh nice to meet you as well like it was just this laundry list of things he, he needed me of, to do. Instead of, hey,
0: it's great to finally meet yeah. you in person. Yeah, the social.
1: Wow, I was like freaked out. Well, oh my gosh, I did I okay, yes, I will do it. Had it done straight nicely. to the point. All right, straight to the point.
0: So, so through your progress of working with him and coaching him and and doing all the videos um, that you did, where you're you're getting the coaching live in front of everybody what was the biggest thing that you learned
1: Uh, from the experience?
0: Yeah. From the experience.
1: Oh my gosh. I feel like I learned so much, but the, one of the biggest things was just, just do it. Like whatever it is that freaks you out. If you want to start growing, if you want to start moving forward, just start, like just Mm -hmm. take the step forward, like with him, I had to just say yes to the opportunity mm-hmm. and I had to go there and just sure. take the next step. And I th- used to shy away from stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I would not find myself. You weren't running. a risk taker. No. I like risk taker is the farthest thing from, well, not the farthest because I guess running your own business is fairly risky.
0: Sure. But
1: besides that, um, I was not a risk taker. So it really gotcha. taught me to step out.
0: Gotcha as you know, business wise, how do you, how much did you change during that period?
1: Like 180 degrees. I changed so much. My mentality, my, um, my mindset of just being the order taker. And I've said this a lot, like in interviews and, um, blogs I've written just how I came to Chris and I was frustrated and I couldn't see ahead of me. I I couldn't Mm -hmm. even plan ahead of me because all I could see was I had a ton of work that wasn't fun and I was an order taker. I was being pushed around. I didn't know how to get out from under that and I didn't know how to help my clients more and it was frustrating. And so working with him, it opened my eyes to the possibilities and I started um, offering strategy which I wasn't doing before and very I offer now it's a much more interactive collaborative experience with my client than them just hiring me to execute something. And so I'm, I'm there to extract from them the essence of their brand and to, to really work with them rather than mm-hmm. just being the hired hand. Cause that's what I was all the time. So now I don't consider myself that at all.
0: Gotcha. How did your process evolve through this?
1: I um, I used to use a questionnaire, so mm-hmm. I was very much not wanting to get on phone calls with clients if I could avoid it, um, having the least amount of communication with them, <laughs> which isn't good or helpful when you're trying to design <laughs> for them. And so yeah. I had um, I had a questionnaire. And I had a a pretty tight process, so when someone contacted me, we'd figure out all the logistics, sign the contract, invoice, and then go straight to um, the questionnaire. And so I gave them homework, and then Mm -hmm. I would check in with them and maybe dig a little deeper for a couple of the questions that I was unclear on. And then I would design. Um, So now... So I, I only offered brand identity at that time and then small design stuff too, I would do. Sure. And then now I am trying to structure it where most, all of my clients that come to me are coming to me for larger initiatives. So they're Mm -hmm. trying to do something big in their business. Either it's a rebrand or they're starting a company and they're coming to me for things like strategy, things like finding out what their story is, what their unique selling proposition is. Um, So my process has changed from just being the logo designer and identity designer with a questionnaire to, to now strategy. So I facilitate um, an in-person workshop with them Mm -hmm. and then I help them decide and uncover what deliverables make sense for that brand or that initiative they're trying to do.
0: Speaking of strategy, how did you, how did you learn how to communicate with your clients? Like, because the the going from questionnaire, sending emails, not getting on the phone and all that, to now where you're doing an in-person interview, you're doing that deep dive to find out more things. I'm assuming there's probably multiple phone calls along the way. You're checking in constantly how did you how did you evolve that and teach yourself to be more communicative and develop that strategy?
1: I think part of it was being on chris's show
0: mm-hmm.
1: got me out of that shell big time, like being okay to just
0: talk. <laughs> forced you into the spotlight, yeah, <laughs> forced me in the
1: spotlight and made me just be open to <laughs> This is kind of harsh for Chris, but I felt like sometimes I was punched in the face on camera, like verbally punched in the face and I had to take it. Sure,
0: There's a couple of times where it looked like you were. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I had to just sit there and go, okay, all right, I can take it. And I felt like every time I was on his show, I got stronger in a good way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was I needed that. And I'm so thankful for him that he does speak truth and doesn't sugarcoat it because I couldn't have grown as much as I did if he was too soft with his words. (laughs) So I appreciated that. So I think being on Chris's show, getting myself out of the, out of my shell that way helped. And then I also, I did five strategy sessions for free before I started charging. So I scoped out um, family members, (laughs) friends slash clients, and yeah, a couple other friends slash, like they were people who potentially would have hired me anyway, but I was friends with them. Um, So five, five people that I offered it to for free. And so I got used to it. And what's funny is I grew to love it really fast. So something I Mm. thought I was so scared of doing previously. And now I realize, oh, I should have started this earlier because I'm not that bad at it. And I really Mm. like it. I really like trying to, to get that information from people. And I like talking about it. And I love that they're excited about it too. And so I, I feel like there's an energy when – a really good energy um, when I talk to people and facilitate those workshops.
0: Did you find that your design language evolved that you were able to – because and, – and let me explain this. There There's – for me, the challenge that I run into – and I, I don't run into this as much with freelance, but the challenge I run into in an in-house situation is explaining – the process and gathering the information from the non-designers and then being able to translate that back to them in a way that they will understand. Mm -hmm. Did you find that your language evolved as you were going through that?
1: Yeah. And do you say design language or just in how I verbally communicate?
0: Um, I I would say verbally communicate, Mm, but I say design language because...
1: Because our design you language know, that we use. Yeah, well, we use you know. Yeah.
0: Nobody's gonna know what a grid is, or you know, you know, we're gonna set this up in a grid structure so that this line, you know, all the all the technical terms that we use that have been ingrained to us over the years of working there, are just second nature. Yeah. When you try to when you try to explain that to your mom, I'm pretty sure she just looks at you and goes, <laughs> "Huh? Oh yeah, yeah." So you know same thing with a client when you're having to explain that to a client you've got a you don't want to dumb that da- dumb down the way you talk to them
1: mm-hmm. but you
0: can't talk to them like they're a technical expert on design
1: right right yes in that respect it did definitely shift it shifted more to business mm-hmm. and And what Chris had always been pushing me to is you got to learn the language of business. You have to learn what matters to your clients. And so that's also why I was reading business books. Mm -hmm. Um, The 101 Things I Learned in Business School. That's why
0: I attempt to read business books.
1: Yeah. And it really did help because I see Uh now the objective things that I needed to address. Instead of addressing the actual aspects of the design, I backed up even more into a bigger picture. And two, what okay. objectives are we trying to hit? What market are we trying to get into? It was much more um, big picture. So I was talking mm-hmm. about more, I can talk about the vibe of something and my clients totally get it. Like they can see a mood board and they can understand what a vibe is. If I mm-hmm. talk about the action, they don't need to know about why I created a logo the way I did or why I can talk in general terms. And I don't think I've ever had an issue with that per se, as I sure. think some designers do where they are so into talking about the technical things of the design. I think if we're able to back up enough and see the bigger picture that we won't get caught up in the weeds of design language that our clients Mm -hmm. can't
0: understand. How did you learn to generalize that language? Because I work, I work for an engineering firm. So talking about vibe and things like that is just going to make their eyes roll in the back of their head. Um, And I have some freelance clients who understand it. I have some other freelance clients who are more technical and may not get that. When you get to this process, I think early on in the stages, you have to identify who's going to, pun intended here, who's going to vibe with you and who isn't. (laughs) So through those language skills that you're picking up, how are you using that to then um, find the red flags that it's somebody that you wouldn't want to work with maybe. Yeah.
1: I, I have two answers for this. So the first one is, cause I have worked with engineers before mm-hmm. and how, how one can talk with them minus trying to show the emotional aspects is show who the ideal client is
0: mm-hmm.
1: and show exactly what that life looks like for the ideal client and how that mm-hmm. product or service fits in. And if you can show enough, examples of that and so you don't have to talk about vibe you can just say hey this is what they see and hear and taste and smell in their daily life we want to fit in with that so that we look like we're a part of it so mm-hmm. if we use colors like this and if we use tight like this you don't even have to say that if we look like this they will <laughs> buy us end of story so it's going big picture that way I'm showing as many objective things as possible to say, this is why it needs to be this way because it needs to fit in. And the more it looks like this, the more it will and the more they'll buy. So Mm -hmm. that's how I would address it in that situation. Now, how I sniff out those people ahead of time, I target more of the lifestyle brands. So like I had mentioned, the creative entrepreneurs, and I do that in the work that I show. So if you look at my work, generally speaking, it's I do work for bloggers. I've done work mm-hmm. for photographers, um, for fashion brands. So the work that I show attracts the people that end up coming to me. Once sure. in a great while, I'll have ones that slips through, but usually I can even tell if the industry. If the industry is more tech, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't normally take on tech clients because they are more um, like that. <laughs> like there's a lot of software engineers and engineers yeah. in general. Um, not as many creatives, but if they're more in the design realm, creative entrepreneurs, then that's usually how I can tell. And a lot of times they'll come to me and say, I love your work. I want something mm-hmm. like that. And the, I love those clients because they know what they're going to get from me because they've already seen it. And sure, and they it resonated with them somehow. So that's how I sure. can tell.
0: That makes sense. I'm I'm curious about how when you get the clients who upfront meet all of the criteria of who you'd want to work with how you then determine is this individual client not based on their industry not based on what they do but based on who i'm going to have to work with for them are they the right fit
1: so as far as personality yeah yeah oh, that's a good one um because i
0: mean they're for lack of a better term, there's some really good bullshit out there. <laughs> out there well, that... I've had
1: the luxury of not working with a lot of those.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I have, t- I have yeah. two. I'm just, you know,
1: yeah. Um, a lot of my clients come from referrals, like okay, a very, very high percentage. And that doesn't mean that I shouldn't do any social media or that all that helps. It helps validate oh, yeah. me to my already existing network. And so from my existing network, I get tons of referrals and I have a really solid network. I have great friends Mm -hmm. who I like a lot. And so the people they refer to me are similar to them. So if you have really good friends, most likely they'll have really good friends. And I know that's not always the case. Like you said, there's a lot of bullshitters out there, but I have had the luxury of not meeting those people and most everyone that I really have not had that I can think of. I haven't had a nightmare client that, that I that was horrible. You know, I've had things that just didn't, wasn't a good fit, but
0: yeah, never had it. I mean, have you run into, you know, when you have an initial meeting with someone who say they're a photographer and you know, you're, you're going along and it's, it's still early on before you even do any work. And you know, first couple meetings seem great, but there's something that you can't put your finger on that just nags at you of not sure what it is, but, uh, you know, sticks the little hairs up on the back of your neck. Um, have you run into that situation?
1: Uh, yes. And those people I usually don't take on. And that's Mm -hmm. usually people who can't answer the questions I ask in the initial meeting. Okay. So whether or not that's, um, like what their vision is for their business. If they don't have one that they're able to articulate, then that to me raises a red flag because they're not, to me, there's not headed anywhere then. And if you're not headed Mm -hmm. anywhere, then you have no processes to get there. So then Mm -hmm. you probably are in utter chaos because I've been there. I know what chaos looks like. And I know what it is to also have a vision of where you want your business to go and then Mm -hmm. be structuring your business towards that. And so that's a big one. If, if I ask, um, I don't know if you've read, have you read Blair ends and win without pitching or pricing creativity? Uh,
0: I literally just bought it. So okay. I have not read it. So
1: yeah. he talks about in pricing creativity, the three-year question. I don't have that one. I've got one you know, okay. without pitching. And, yeah. uh, and I know this is from somebody else too. I think you stole it from somebody else, but the three-year question is asking the business owner, if we're sitting down a coffee in three years and you, you're so excited about what has happened in your business, tell me what that is. So it's getting your client or your potential client to think ahead three years Mm -hmm. and then to tell you what their vision is really of what has happened in their business. And some people literally cannot do that. Like they have Mm -hmm. no clue and they couldn't explain that to you. And those are the ones that I get scared to work with because I'm like, well, you're not headed anywhere then if you can't articulate that. So that's a big one.
0: Okay. Yeah, most of my most of my red flag clients have either been can't really describe and that, or their clients that early on, just rapidly start changing the scope of work of what Mm -hmm. they came to me for. Mm -hmm. It's
1: or the ASAP the ASAP clients like, well, I need this tomorrow. It's like, well, okay, I'll go refer you to somebody else, but that's
0: not. Yeah, no. Yeah, those ones I I turned down almost right away. If it's a really quick turnaround, I'm just like, no, even if even if I am not busy enough where I could take it on. It's just if you're expecting me to jump through hoops for you, Mm -hmm. then I don't think I want to work with you because I'm not a I'm not a beck and call designer, right? I'm right. Yeah. I, you know,
1: that's the other thing I had one that I turned down that he wanted me to adhere to his process. And so oh, I, yeah. I, um, outlined and I, he also had went to art school. It's always those ones too. If they've went to art school, but then never practiced and they went on to another industry, sure. I've realized those ones are, there's always something in there. Cause they think they know what's going on and they want to tell you what to do, but then they don't. Mm-hmm. So he, um, I had told him, well, this is how I work. This is the process. And then he replied back with, no, this is how I'd like to do it. And he had literally how many revisions and how many sketches he wanted to see before it was approved. And I'm thinking, I don't even, at that point, I was not even showing sketches. I was showing renderings and vectorized logos. I'm not like, I'm not showing you my sketchbook. That's not how I work. And so he had given me that process. I'm like, that's no, no. So if they're not going to come
0: into my process, no, no. Yeah. I'm not saying I never show client sketches because there are some cases where I do, Mm -hmm. but a, I've got to have a really good trust relationship with them. Not where, not where I trust them, where they can trust me Yeah, because I mean, my sketches are dirty and messy and they, you know, they don't look like somebody who went to art school.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, same here. My sketches are strictly the,
0: the thinking the concept, yeah, that's, that's it. that's all it is. It's it's that's me it. rushing out. It's yeah. It's kind of like my grocery list. My grocery <laughs> list is not that I have good handwriting to begin with, but my grocery list, the handwriting on it, is remarkably worse than the rest <laughs> of my handwriting because it's just, okay, got to get that, 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 that. And that's the same way it is when I'm doing sketches for logo ideas. It's I'm just trying to get the idea out of my head, mm-hmm. and then I can take and refine and all that. So unless, unless it's a client I really trust, I don't show sketches, mm-hmm. and and I, and I've got to know that they've got complete trust in me, and I've done a lot of work for them, where they know uh, when I, they see this, it's going to turn out fine.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly, because
0: otherwise it's just going to scare people off.
1: Oh yeah, that's why I would never show them. Like no, you can't see my sketches. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. what you said. It's not for the public
0: to see. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because, because um, this, this was about five years ago now. I was in a workshop. And it was at a conference, and there were a lot of fairly prominent designers in that. And that's not me talking about like I'm good enough to be in the workshop. Mm -hmm. It was literally an all-access workshop. There were plenty of people who were on my level, some who were worse, but there were also a lot of people in there who were remarkably better. And I was just, you know, in awe of them. Mm -hmm. But everybody had there was a couple exercises, and one of the exercises was you have five minutes to sketch out. Your idea for this logo for and they gave there was no brief it was just the name of a company Mm -hmm. so you know everybody comes back and there's there's some that from designers nobody's heard of before that are just incredible and you're like how the hell did you do that in five minutes Mm -hmm. and then they get to all the big name designers that i'm just like in awe of and they're throwing their sketches up and i'm like I can draw better than that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes me feel good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, well, if they're drawing like that, then what am I worried about of yep. my process? It's whatever works for you is what works for you. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll compromise on my process a little bit, but not much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If I have to, maybe because of client's needs, if we have to alter something a little bit, okay. But I'm not yeah. taking on someone else's process completely no. and ditching mine. Like, no, no, no. That doesn't work like that. I only have that happen once. That's it.
0: Yeah. And if I'm compromising my process, believe me, they're paying for it too. Oh, yeah. Like, and that, that, I mean, that literally took me until really this past year to figure out. Like, that's good. Well, if you're changing the way that you do something, you know, then you need to charge for that because yeah. that's gonna take you more time
1: yeah oh yeah because you ha- yeah and that's what a process helps you not have to make decisions and and waste time so streamlining a process makes you uber efficient so the second that you do anything and tweak it or change it because of someone then you're exactly right. the time goes up which the cost goes up as well
0: mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious speaking of process do you have like a written process that you go over with with your clients?
1: I I have one currently for strategy. So okay. when I, so for brand strategy, because that's the thing that gets my clients in the door. And I, again, I'm in the midst of, of reading all the business books and all of them are, mm. like, are like you have to document your processes and you have to have them all streamlined and blah, blah, blah. So I'm in the midst of documenting all processes in my business. But currently I do have strategy outlined and so I go over mm-hmm. that with a client so they know what to expect and and it's really easy then to get them on board with it because they know what to expect and okay. it's not just this weird thing like especially strategy <laughs> strategy is so vague that yeah. I need something concrete like this is what happens in week one this is what happens in week two and so on this is what you get i need, the
0: end I, yeah I need that strategy is the hard one for me to sell because I just I haven't found my way in yeah, I haven't found out my way to ask. Yeah, um, and, and I'm still not sure how to do that. But have you tried? Uh, not, not much. I, I mean, I've done it with a couple clients, but they were clients that I had ex- mm. had existing relationships with, and I knew them and I knew their business fairly well. Yeah. So did they not
1: go for it? Um, two have, one didn't. Yeah, I've been refining how I talk about strategy this past mm-hmm. year cuz once I did it, you're you're right. So you get good at it, right? So mm-hmm. you learn it, you get good at it, and then I realized, "Oh, I actually have to sell this." Like I, I have to now communicate what it is,
0: mm-hmm. what
1: is it going to do or ask the right questions so that someone will want it. And it's been a year of me figuring that out of how how do I appropriately articulate this? How do I ask the right questions? Um, that mm-hmm. was one of the shows when I was on Chris's show this past year, um, I had talked about how I, how I sell it now mm-hmm. and he was, you know, teaching me a better way as well, <laughs> which he always does, uh, which did help. And what I realized about selling it was if you are able to ask the right questions, Mm-hmm. The client will be on board, and you barely have to say anything about it. So, I, the last one I closed um, was ten thousand for oh, strategy. That's not bad. Not bad at all. So from going from zero, from going no, I to was questionnaire. I, I was, say, I was yeah. saying
0: that when the oh, that's actually really the yeah. sarcasm oh, behind no, it. That's not it. bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I went from going free for the questionnaire yeah. to to ten thousand, and funny enough. The way I closed it was I just mm-hmm. asked questions. And I believe I asked that three year question. And the client was so into his vision that he went on for about 20 minutes about oh, wow. his vision. And I I maybe asked follow up questions or deeper, like getting to really know what it was that he wanted to do. Sure. And by the end of it, he goes, I feel really good about this. And I had not said anything besides asking him a few questions. So he talked
0: himself into it.
1: He completely talked himself into it. And Chris was saying that's that's the best way. If if you're Mm -hmm. able to ask the right questions that gets your client focused on the outcome, Mm -hmm. that they'll convince themselves into it. So it's learning how to ask those those questions.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, selling is the hardest part to begin with Mm -hmm. because it's my least favorite part. I would rather balance the books (laughs) than do the selling part. And that says a lot because I absolutely hate balancing books and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, who, who does? But the, 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 the selling part of it for me is when the anxiety kicks in and the, mm. you know, that whole imposter syndrome thing kicks in because it's, well, they're going to find out what am I, you know, what if I say the wrong thing? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's my brain tell me, you know, trying to find reasons they're not going to like me. And that Mm. talks me out of it. And that's the hardest challenge.
1: Do you have that anxiety before you get on the call? Or is there a point in the call or the conversation?
0: No, it's before I get on the call. It is entirely before I get on the call. Yeah. And, you know, there have been times where I haven't gotten on the call. I mean, it's not like I flaked out or anything like that. It's, you know, looking at someone that, you know, had been either referred to me or something like that. And it just... I've ended up talking myself out of it. And that's, hmm. that's my biggest challenge.
1: Do so. you, um, do you do a lot of freelance?
0: Um, a lot more than I used to until about a year and a half ago, I would take on maybe one to two projects a year. Mm. Um, but this past year, my wife's a designer as well. Um, and, mm-hmm. and she, she works from home. She's a full-time freelancer. Um, as well as homeschooling the kids, and oh wow, all of that stuff. So she's, you know, she's the hard worker out of the two of us. <laughs> um, so, but I was, I was coming home from work and I was just burned out, and I didn't really want to do anything. And then I realized part of my being burned out is because I was at an in-house job and mm. I was having to do the same thing over and over again and it just it wasn't satisfying that creative itch like i needed it to mm-hmm. so i started taking on more and more freelance and um, i'm actually like I've, I've well not a new client i've got a repeat client but i'm about to start a new project with them there as soon as i get the contract back from them, um which should have actually been here by now. <laughs> 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 I mean, she's, she's told me she mailed it. Um, <laughs> so, but um, yeah, so I don't do a ton, but I do enough and I'm wanting to do more and I'm wanting to build things more, especially, excuse me, especially after, um, f- after years of my wife and I just having our own clients and doing our own freelance thing to have started partnering up on some stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: has made it a lot more rewarding.
1: Oh, I bet. Yeah.
0: Um, and, w- and we hadn't done it for so long because we were, we were afraid that, you know, it caused tension and all that stuff. And it's actually been really great. And it's, I mean, our biggest challenge now is, you know, who has the most time to take something on. <laughs> so, and that's, you know, that's a good problem to have, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's growing.
1: Yeah. So with those clients, what's, have you ever felt like something was an easy sale? Like, wow, that didn't even feel like selling and you close, close the job.
0: Um, yeah. With the client I was just mentioning, um, it was really easy. I mean, they were a referral to begin with. Um, and you know, the, the projects that they needed were not necessarily the sexiest project, but it was there was enough in there that it was fun. It's it's for a a restaurant, a food truck. Oh, that's um, really fun. And they yeah. yeah, they needed some menus done. They already had the branding in place. Um, there was the the person who referred them to me is actually who did the branding. He oh, just perfect. He didn't have enough time to take them on to do what they needed because he had just had a kid and. Started a new full-time job that he wasn't planning on. and Yeah. So all of that stuff. So he referred them over to me. So just in the initial talking to him, I already had a trust factor Mm -hmm. going in where, you know, they trusted me because I was getting referred. I trusted them because he was referring them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the conversations, we just, it wasn't even like talking to a client. Mm -hmm. It was just like having a conversation. Um, and then subsequently we've done a couple other projects for them. They're they're now opening a brick and mortar store. Well, they actually wow. they just opened a brick and mortar store. So we're doing a bunch of interior stuff for them. We're doing some new menuing stuff for them and gonna be hopefully doing a website and a bunch of other things. That's um exciting. Yeah, so they've been they've been a fun one to work with. And I wish I had more clients like that. I've got another couple clients that are really easy to work with mm-hmm. but it's certainly not anything that I can sell on like yeah I've, we've yeah. got one that's well one I can't do anything because it's an NDA yeah um but even then, it still wouldn't be portfolio work it's right it's, it's literally like designing pitch decks and stuff like that yeah. For them.
1: yeah um
0: and then we've got another one that's they do educational design so we're designing like the visual look of lessons and lesson plans and mm. things like that, that that then they take and sell to um, online learning resources for, for school systems that have online components. Mm-hmm. So it's not higher ed, it's like grade school and all that. Oh,
1: okay. But yeah.
0: that's just, they're really easy to work with. They're, you know, the, the money's great. Yeah. But, th- but they're not a, sexy and it's not exactly it's it's definitely more production based than anything right so
1: that's good to pay trying
0: yeah i mean don't get me wrong i i I got my start in production i don't knock it Mm -hmm. like i have nothing against it Mm -hmm. um but yeah we're just looking to grow things and take more stuff on so it's that does finding the ways to get past get out of our own way so we can sell stuff and and yeah. finding more clients and things like that.
1: Well, it sounds like the you had really good experience with being referred from someone else who, who does branding, right? And so my, my mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. is, and this is something that I've been trying to, it's like a motto, go where the growth is. So if that is mm-hmm. something that you had a really good experience with, had a really mm-hmm. great client from that, well, if you made 10 friends that were just like the one that you got a referral from mm-hmm. think of what you could start getting in way better clients that way and the clients that you didn't have to feel like you sold to sure and that's where my thinking is because i'm big on partnerships i am mm-hmm. i i connect with so many people especially because i'm in chris's pro group for the future mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and
1: i met so many people if i there. had the
0: money i would be in there oh too. gosh
1: i i recommend it All the time. So if you ever do, I highly, highly recommend it. But if you do, I also recommend being active and reaching out to people, messaging Mm. people. And I know I had it easier because I was on the show. So people already knew me. But it helped me create those strategic partnerships to where if someone had overflow work, they'll call me. Rebecca actually Mm. called me from the show and I worked for her on something. But if you're able to duplicate what you had just said and make relationships with other designers who are in that spot, maybe that do brand strategy, that do branding, but don't necessarily want to flesh out the whole brand, mm-hmm. make friends with them, connect with them, and they will share the wealth.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, honestly, I I find the fleshing out fleshing out. Is it flushing or fleshing? It's fleshing, <laughs> fleshing out of the <laughs> I'm talking myself into it. Uh, the fleshing out of the brand part is what I find more rewarding than actually creating a logo. Mm. Um, I, don't get me wrong, I like branding and I like creating that, but there's, I don't know, for it's less problem-solving to me mm. that part of it, mm-hmm. like because that's. And th- that's very hit or miss of what problem you can solve with that you can have all of the information and that is a lot more subjective
1: which part the branding
0: the 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 creating the logo and all that for me right. I feel that's a lot more subjective right and the being able to create all, create all the collateral materials um you know whether it's brochures or if it's a website um not that I do a ton of websites, I'm definitely not a web designer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I'm capable of it. Um, but the the brochures and all those collateral items like flyers and one sheets and 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 things like that that help emphasize and support the brand mm-hmm. is a lot more rewarding to me. Well, but the creating of it, not you- the.
1: Like I would want to hire someone like you or pass on or refer because I hate that stuff. Like I, (laughs) I literally hate the execution of the brand collateral, which you were just talking about all the print collateral, all of that ongoing stuff. Mm -hmm. I hate it to the point where I don't think I'm going to be offering it anymore as my services. So I'm planning on now this is today. I mean, things might change in a week, but (laughs) today I'm planning on paring down my services to just brand strategy, identity, and potentially customer experience. And those all are big picture. And from there, I would most likely refer my client. Either they're going to have an in-house designer that will do all that or team, Mm -hmm. or they will be hiring out to someone like yourself to execute all that. But it's how you talk about having fulfillment from doing that kind of work. I get fulfillment from the actual branding part of it because of the the problem solving and and I've learned how to communicate like we were talking earlier how to communicate it in a way that the clients are very receptive and they don't fight against me with it um Mm -hmm. and I think that also goes into how you facilitate because if you're able to get the client to say it and you get them to own it then all mm-hmm. you're doing is putting pictures to their words. You're not creating anything new or presenting something out of the sky. You're literally just sure. putting a visual to what they had already said. So I think it also goes into how you facilitate. But yeah, so mm-hmm. how you were talking about how you like doing print. I'm like, man, I need I need people I can refer work to. So <laughs> just letting you know.
0: <laughs> well, you have my number and my email Yeah. I guess, so. <laughs> so well you we we got off track there for a long time and started talking about me but um i'm I'm curious as we're as we're kind of wrapping up here you well what's your three year plan if three years from now i'm coming to talk to you what what (laughs) you're pulling my own
1: my own stuff on me you are well you're lucky because i just wrote this out um, (laughs) (laughs) after reading the emiss um uh after meeting with a few people recently and hearing about their businesses, because I was very lost still about mm-hmm. what my vision was. And I even talked to Chris. I said, I don't know what my vision is and I don't know what it should be. But as I've been talking to people, I've realized that I want a small consultancy and I okay. want to be an expert. I want to be an expert at brand strategy. So in the next three years, I have a lofty goal of hitting a million dollars with Mark's a maker Mm -hmm. to have, and I know the person I would be hiring, um, to have a designer on staff. Mm -hmm. So I would be doing the brand strategy. This designer would be doing all of the brand identity.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and then I most likely would be partnering with a marketing consultant for the customer experience side and then referring out, Having strategic partnerships, so referring out to the same vendors every time. So a web company that I have um, a connection with, Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: I would be referring out to them. I do not want to do websites at all, Mm -hmm. so I want to do big picture. So I can't blame you. Yeah, so that's uh, that, and then referring out for what we were talking about, day-to-day design, but getting to the million-dollar mark by three years and being the expert at brand strategy and branding in, in general.
0: Awesome. In the immediate future that you can talk about, what do you have coming up
1: that I can talk about? Um, I am branding. I'm currently working on some branding for a development company, which Uh is very exciting, extremely exciting. So that, um, and then I'm also going to be back on Chris's show. Oh, awesome! So I'll be back as a co-host, um, on his show, hopefully more frequently than I was before and staying on longer than I was. Cause I had learned so much that I needed to put it in practice. And so I, that's why mm-hmm. I took some time off, but now I'm ready to go back. And then I also might be starting another YouTube show as well.
0: well so, very cool.
1: Yeah. I got some stuff going stuff brewing. Yeah.
0: Well, you'll have to let us know when all that stuff drops and we'll, uh, We'll be sure to plug you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Not a problem. Uh, in the meantime, where can people find you online?
1: Oh, they can find me a lot of places. Uh, if you look up Melinda Livesey on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and then Marks and Maker, the same. And also, I'm at prelance, P R E hyphen Prelance on Instagram, but it has a period instead of a dash or hyphen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So, prelance, Marks and Maker, and Melinda Livesey.
0: Awesome, and we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes so people don't have to try to remember it.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Perfect. Well, Melinda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and and for giving me your advice uh, <laughs> there at the end. I, I really appreciate that. I'm going to talk to my wife about that and try to put some stuff in practice.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, and, thank uh, you for having and, me.
0: You're welcome, and go out and hug some necks.
1: <laughs> I will. <laughs>
0: You can find out more about Melinda on Twitter at MelindaLivesee underscore. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with her. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative Pod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CreativeSouthGA over at creativesouth.com. And I'm Matt J. Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATE15CS at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And... Remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the creative south podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play Music, rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.